What if we were actually enough? What if everything we were and who we are is enough? And this is such a huge question. This is at the core of my compulsive eating. This is at the core of my workaholism. (laughs) All of it is that question, am I enough? Today's guest is Janine Roth. She's the author of the fantastic book, Women, Food, and God. And I talk about at the beginning of the podcast how I read her book years ago and I put it away. I couldn't read it. It was too much. It was too much truth or it was just too much. (laughs) And we all know that too much doesn't necessarily mean enough. And I reread her book recently and I thought, I'm just going to ask her if she would be on the podcast. It would she'll probably say no. (laughs) And she said yes. And when she booked, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm enough. (laughs) That's what she would say. And I wasn't enough because Janine booked my podcast. But when she did, that was the first thing that came to my mind is I have to begin to think this way, that I'm enough, because that's what she's going to want to talk about. And it's so important her message about food, the way we act with food, the way we eat, it it is a path to everything. That is the subtitle of her book. And I'm very excited to bring this interview to you. I love her. I'm grateful to her. She's been seen on, on Oprah many times, Super Soul Sunday. She is very well known for her work. And she has a retreat coming up in December, an online retreat that we can all take part in. So look for the link to that in the show notes and follow her her on social media and her website, JanineRoth.com. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. This is our uh, online version with, with live people, which is always exciting, especially now during our pandemic. But I'm super excited to introduce you to Miss Janine Roth. Hello. Hi, I'm very glad to be here, Meredith. Thank you for inviting me. Such an honor. Oh my goodness. So I read Women, Food, and God about five years ago, and I got halfway through, and then I hid it. (laughs) 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 Because I thought, this is too much. This cannot be. This cannot solve my snowball problem, which I very much... Um, sympathize with. We have very similar um, dieting backgrounds. And so I just started getting my act together over the last few years and I reordered it. I reordered the book because I hid it somewhere and I couldn't find it. (laughs) And um, so, and I started reading it and I thought, 
Now I, now I am ready. <laughs> so thank you so much for your work. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yes. It's really my pleasure. Yeah. So, well, let's lead with the current state of, of the pandemic. And you mentioned right before we came on how we're having trouble socially distancing from our refrigerator in many cases. You know, I think that with the pandemic in particular, and the fact that so many people have been quarantined at home or sheltering in place or cocooning or whatever we want to call it, what happens is that things that have always been under the surface, feelings, anxieties, fears, beliefs, thoughts about ourselves, our relationships, uh, our relationships to other people, our relationship, of course, to food, our relationship to ourselves, to, to feelings like loneliness and anxiety, all of that comes up. And without running around, meaning going outside because, and, and going to do things and being with other people, here they are. Here's all this stuff that's up. And what do we do with it? And I think that's some of what's happening during the yeah. uh, during this time. It's starting to change now, of course, because my mother told me today New York was opening up. And uh, here in Northern California, things have uh, started opening up very slowly, but there's a, a little bit of a, a sea change still. There's this atmosphere of the pandemic and also atmosphere of everything that's come up during it. Yes. Yes. So some most of your work talks about the connection with food to everything else <laughs> that our right. relationship with food is our relationship with the world, with ourselves. And so I know a lot of my audience may not know your work and your story. And just when you start to hear your story, it, it it's incredible just as it is, but then when you get into the financial and what happened to you and, and how that just built and built, do you, I know you can, are probably tired of telling your story, but do you think you can, <laughs> you can tell it um, in a way that, you know, encompasses just the, the, the depth of it and, and, and sort of ties in how this connection to food and yourself and your life and gratitude showed up in, in your life? I, you know, I was, um, being interviewed this morning and saying, and somebody was asking me about what happened with money and my husband and me. And, and the, the laser version of that is that we lost it all in 2008. There's a much longer version of that. And I'll tell you a little bit of that version in a second, but between what happened with food and that was catastrophic, so to speak, in terms of me gaining and losing over a thousand pounds in uh, a period of about 17 years and then finally getting to the point where I wanted to kill myself and was a few days away from killing myself and then losing everything. We had lost half of our money a couple of years earlier before 2008. And then in 2008, we lost everything. I was writing and I've often have reflected on this that I think I must be so hard headed 
that these catastrophic things have to happen to me in order for me to wake up. And hopefully in me writing about them and speaking about them, other people won't have to go through such catastrophic experiences. They'll be able to learn even a little bit from my own experience. In terms of food, I feel like I lived in a hell realm for uh, a long time, from the time I was 11 until my late 20s. I was either on a diet or a binge every single day. There was no thought ever during that time that if I stopped dieting, I wouldn't also start bitching. Those seem to be the only two options. And deep down was the belief that who I was as a human being was out of control. My needs were out of control. My desires were out of control. My hungers were out of control. My relationships were out of control. But mostly my feelings about myself and who I took myself to be, which was a wreck, really. A failure and um, selfish, uh, unkind, and your basic, uh, uh, you know, just failure, self-indulgent, lazy wreck. And that was, I think, at the bottom of all of this. There was a lot of abandonment issues as a mm-hmm. kid. In my family, there was Um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, alcohol addiction, drug addiction. That's what I mean about, you know, me having to experience the whole gamut, which I did. Uh, And that most likely contributed to the many years of eating disorders where I ate just insane things all the time, like uh, meatballs, prunes, and matzah dietetic applesauce was a diet that I went on for weeks. I went on the one hot fart Sunday a day diet where all I ate at noon was a hot fart Sunday. I went on the only fried chicken diet. There were weeks I ate nothing but grape nuts. You know, in those years- I remember the grape nuts diet. I I had, that is the nastiest cereal (laughs) on the planet. It's very crunchy. It is crunchy, but so are pickles. I, I mean, I would, <laughs> I would much rather have pickles than I grape nuts. I never thought about pickles, I have to say. Um, oh, I, that's, yeah, I eat a lot of pickles. <laughs> I like pickles. I'm yeah. sorry I never thought of pickles. I probably would have been on the all pickles and ice cream diet <laughs> if I had thought about pickles. Um, right. But I didn't. Uh, so anyway, after all that time, I... I decided that I needed to be once and for all forever thin. So I starved myself and down to 150 calories a day. And I jogged three miles a day during that time. And I got down to 82 pounds and I was anorexic. Those were the years that nobody was really talking about anorexia. Nobody was really talking about eating disorders. Um, And then I couldn't stand it anymore, so I didn't stop binging. After a year and a half, I went on a two-month binge and gained 80 pounds in that time. So I effectively doubled my weight. It was the self-loathing that was driving Mm -hmm. me that whole time. I was haunted by feelings of being a failure and feelings of um, never being able to get it right, of being wrong. 
as a human being of feeling like my DNA was defective and damaged and I could never get it right as a person. And therefore, I might as well kill myself. I had, uh, I had then gained 80 pounds in two months. Nobody recognized me uh, because I was so big. I was so, I, I don't like using the word fat um, because people have pushed me on that and questioned me about that, telling me that 160 pounds isn't fat. And uh, I don't know what fat is, but I do know that for me, who's uh, five foot one, um, I was uh, big yeah. for my frame. I have teeth. Well, you said somewhere that someone told you that you had circles all over, or everything was round oh, yes. about that. I thought that yes. was so funny that everything was round about you. And I'm, yes. I know, yeah. Yes, that was before I gained all that weight. Right, that's what um, part of what started you yes, starving. Right, yeah, right. right. Always someone. Yeah. There's always someone that just and, starts And many times a bunch of someones. Right, um, the whole life. You have said, me has always been you, but you have such a pretty face. If you yes, could only get right. the rest of it lined yes, up. Yes, <laughs> right. There was a book before I wrote my books called Such a Pretty Face. Um, I think it was by Marsha Millman. Um, anyway, uh, since I was at the bottom of, uh, where I felt like a person could go and was willing to kill myself, I had worked in a suicide prevention and crisis center for a couple of years. And I knew that when you started to plan on how you were going to do it and pick a date, which I was doing, then it meant you were serious. And at that point, I realized I had nothing to lose by not dieting and by eating what my body wanted to eat. And uh, it was such a radical notion. I read the book, That is a Feminist Issue, Susie Orbach. I think that was a book uh, written in 1976 and I happened to find it. And she said in there that she felt like women used food to express well, I actually can't remember what she said, to tell you the truth. I just remember my interpretation of what she said. Right, right. Which was that, oh, I was using food for really good reasons. And that as crazy and insane as I felt, maybe this was an expression of sanity and wisdom if mm. I could only find out what I was trying to express. And so the very next day, I stopped dieting. And I started being curious about what it was I was using food to express. And that was the beginning for me of, of all of my work with this. I started a group. I charged a dollar a night for that. Oh, I love this story. You have to tell this story because <laughs> this, I, this is because I wrote it down somewhere. Um, don't let one of your mantras was don't let rollers in your hair ever get in your way. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop you. You have to tell this story. This is fantastic. Well, because I didn't fit into any of my clothes, I had then borrowed after gaining that 80 pounds. It was the middle of winter and I borrowed a summer dress from a friend of mine because it was all elastic. Uh, I remember this dress. I wish I still had this dress. <laughs> I love that dress. Um, anyway, um, I borrowed that dress and 
uh, I decided I would get my hair curled because that was my hair, I used to say, was the only part of me that was thin. I had thin hair. And so I went to a hair salon. She put my rollers in to have what's called an air dry permanent, uh, which meant I had to leave the rollers in overnight. And the next day was the morning of my group, my first group that started that night. And so I went to get the rollers taken out. And there was a sign on her salon door that said she had to get an emergency surgery. She wouldn't be back. I think it was till the next day. Do not take the rollers out. Otherwise, my hair would fall out. (laughs) And of course, I couldn't afford to have my hair fall out. And so I had to keep the rollers in. Well, I'm sure I didn't have to keep the rollers in, but I decided to keep right. the rollers in. It was a good bet to keep them in. <laughs> it was a good bet. So I showed up that first night. Actually, I had to meet everybody in front of a liquor store because my organic professor's house, which is where I was living at the time as a nanny for his two-year-old because I had nowhere to live and no job and no money, um, he and his wife so kindly allowed me to start the first group in their living room. Uh, but they lived in the country down a long road with no lights. So I had to meet everybody at the nearest well-lit place, which was a liquor store <laughs> in a village. And so I showed up in front of a liquor store in the middle of winter in a sleeveless dress. Many pounds, many tens of pounds overweight with rollers in my hair waving to everybody that I was their leader. I was <laughs> going to show them how to break free from compulsive eating. Right. And as you can imagine, many people drove away out of front. Oh my God, this is not what I signed up for. So they drove away, but some people stayed. And they followed me back to Harry and Sue's house. And uh, we started meeting every week. And that group met for many weeks. We eventually changed to the back of one of the members' houses. Uh, she owned a delicatessen, and we met in the back of her delicatessen after it closed for many weeks, and then I found my own place, and then we met in my place. So Always show happened. up. Always show up, even with rollers in your hair. Right. <laughs> right. That's my motto. That's right. So let's back up to your definition of compulsive eating, because I think it's a very, it's a very good definition. How do you define compulsive eating? Eating when you're not hungry and not stopping when your body has had enough, which means that you're eating in response to cues that are not physical. And so they could be situational. They could be emotional. They could, I'm bored, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm anxious, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm very afraid of what's going to happen in the future. Situational, I just lost my job. Uh, My best friend just ended our relationship. My partner just left me. Uh, uh, I have to move. I have to pack up. I don't like moving or I've just moved and everything is new. So whatever the cues are, they're not physical. They're not hunger cues. So you're eating out of those cues. And and I would extend that to say that you're then eating to express something Mm -hmm. that you're not certain 
or don't know how to or haven't had modeled in terms of feeling. You don't know how to feel just by being with yourself. Often we're, we, I don't know if we're taught this, but we certainly somehow absorb this, that our feelings can kill us, that mm-hmm. our feelings are overwhelming to us, that uh, it's dangerous to feel fear or anxiety or loneliness or boredom or sadness or grief. Uh, many of us eat when we're happy because we don't really feel like it's okay to be happy or that we deserve to be happy. So what happens is that when we turn to food, it changes the focus from the boredom, sadness, loneliness, anxiety, or situation of uncertainty um, to feeling shame and judgment and guilt about what we just ate. So now, effectively, we've doubled our suffering because we're still feeling what we felt before we ate, and now we've just added an entire layer of feelings on top of what we were feeling, so now it's doubled and it's not taken away. Yeah. One of the things that you talk about is the idea of enough. And I think this is, this is, seems to me to be your secret sauce is, is this concept of, you know, it's a food analogy sauce. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just just this concept of when is, what is enough food? Where are we enough? Do I have enough money? What if I look, you know, and, and that's why your story around, around the money is so poignant because you, you learned what enough was when you had nothing, right? Yes. It's this, this whole concept of, of enough. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. After we, or on the day that I found out that we lost all of our money, my husband wasn't around. He was on a trip. And uh, so I was by myself and freaked out, really, really freaked out. Um, and when you say lost all of your money... Like all your 30 money, years, thirty years of life savings down the tubes. Uh, we had, um, well, I mean, it's not really true that we lost every cent. I think we had a few, uh, maybe two thousand dollars left. Um, but that wasn't going to be enough to help us keep our house, feed us, pay our taxes, right? Like that. Um, and I knew that. So I called a friend and she said to me, nothing of any value has been lost. And I got furious, furious. Uh, I I said to her, now is not the time to be spiritual. (laughs) And uh, she said to me, this is exactly the time to be spiritual. I had been meditating and on a spiritual journey for years, uh, for 30 years, actually, uh, before that moment. But it's one thing to be meditating, and it's one thing to say you believe in uh, true nature or your essence or, you know, uh, what's real can never be lost, or as the Sufis say, anything that you can lose in a shipwreck wasn't ever really yours to begin with. 
And of course, that includes money, things, relationships, and ultimately your body. But let's not go straight to death right now. Um, It's another thing to hear those things and quite another to actually be in the moment with terror of having lost everything and make it through the night that night uh, and the next night and the next night and disengage from the grief and the shame, uh, the judgment, the fury. Uh, I mean, it was almost overwhelming. And I quickly realized that what I needed to do was start focusing on what I hadn't lost, not what I had lost, what I had enough of, not what I didn't have enough of. And uh, I think, you know, that took a couple of days of not sleeping and getting a lot of support from people I loved, most of whom were in exactly the same boat um, because they had invested in what we had invested in. And so we had a major support group going with us, also of people who were on a spiritual path. Um, And so there was a lot of support for the unseen abundance. Uh, And I realized I needed to be vigilant about it. There was, I, I couldn't let myself go even this much the way the mind wants to ramble and, and drum mm. on trouble and just keep drumming it up, ranting, how could you, why did you, what are you going to do? Uh, I, you know, just the stories were so intense just by myself that right. I could tell myself. So I started in every moment um, focusing on what I had, my foot, a cup of tea, this teacup, sardines in the pantry, chocolate in the pantry, friendship, eyes, ears, a chair, sky. I mean, very basic things that I had been taking for granted, discounting, um, always in the future of anxiety about, well, what if this and what if that? And I soon realized that enough wasn't a quantity. Enough Mm. was a relationship to what I already had. And that that took a while, but I came to that. And that has never left me because I realized then that I could go through the worst experiences and still be sane that it was my mind that was causing so much suffering. Because when I, when I had the money, I was still suffering and my mind was still telling me scary stories about, well, what if you lose it? And what if you end up homeless? And what if this? And what if that? And so to feel like I didn't have enough before we lost our money, and then to be unwavering in my certainty that I did have enough, after we had lost our money, was stunning. And I really got it, that it's an internal relationship. Now, that allowed me, the fact that I wasn't in fear and panic, allowed me to write an article called what Bernie Madoff 
couldn't steal from me because we had lost our money with him, a good friend of ours. After we had lost half of our money a couple of years before that with a, with another good friend, our financial advisor who was an embezzler, who we didn't realize was an embezzler. He had been a good friend of ours for 10 years. Um, then this friend who had, whose family had been invested with Madoff for 30 years said, oh, okay, I'm not supposed to, but you can come into our fund. And so we did. And anyway, and then we and lost And at that everything. point, you said, I have enough friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, if I ever give anybody financial advice again, run the opposite direction. Because oh my gosh. really, um, anyway, I don't know where I was going or why I just told you that story. Oh, I was, I mentioned his name, uh, the name Bernie Madoff. And it was stunning to me that I had enough. And so I wrote a piece called What Bernie Madoff Couldn't Steal From Me. And I sent it with the help of my very good friend, Annie Lamott. Uh, She knew Mm -hmm. somebody at salon.com and I sent it to her editor and then her editor published it. And then it did so well on salon that, uh, I got a lot of comments, a lot of mean comments, of course, because whenever you put anything online, you get a lot oh, of mean comments. But I also got beautiful comments and people asked me to write a book. And so I wrote a book called Lost and Found about what I was understanding about the connection between money and food. And what is that? Well, that it's we- multi multifactorial, as somebody I know says all the time, multifactorial, <laughs> from just a, uh, a, a big meta perspective, it's the same kind of issues. It's the issue of enough. Mm-hmm. It's also many of us um, diet and binge and many people budget and splurge. And then many people also um what I call it, eat for the hunger to come, meaning they're not hungry now, but just in case they do get hungry, they're going to eat to make up for when they might get hungry. They're scared and people have those kinds of fears about money. You know, here's the thing I realized that our beliefs are our beliefs and whether we project them onto our relationship with food or onto our relationship with money, it's us Mm. doing it. It's our beliefs that are manifesting or expressing themselves in everything we do, everything we do. And some of the big things we do, or some of the things that really get our attention are things like food and money. Those are survival instincts. And so people react instinctually and automatically about those with scarcity and a feeling of deprivation as if there is no way to get enough. And even when people have enough, and I see this at my retreats all the time, because one of the main things we do together is eat together. So people take food on their plates, and then we come back and we eat together. And we did this online a couple of weeks ago at an online retreat, and it was the same thing. I asked people to look at their plates and see what they took and which part of them took that. Because Mm. if it's the starved child, 
or the scared child structure, I call it, a part of ourselves that felt like it never got enough of what we really wanted. And so now we have the opportunity to have all we want of food. Well, we're going to take it no matter what, because nobody's going to stop us from having enough now. I'm going to get it. And, and so if we're expressing that part of ourselves in our relationship with food, there's never, ever a feeling of how we get sick to our stomachs before we ever feel like we've got enough because there's no way of feeding that child. That child is in the past. It's like feeding a ghost. You Mm. can't ever get enough. That child didn't get enough or believed she didn't get enough. And it's in the past. So no amount of feeding it in the present is going to make up for the lack of enoughness in the past. Wow. That was me. That was me. I must not have gotten to that part of your book the first time because that would. <laughs> but yes, I mean, absolutely. And, and I've done a lot of healing around this. And, and I, I love how you talk about at your retreats, everyone goes to the buffet and gets, you know, what they what they want, what they need, and they sit down and no one eats until everyone's seated. And a buffet for me, especially with food that I have not prepared and put on the buffet is a free for all. I mean, same thing. I, I'm, I'm feeding, I got to eat for the future. What if right. this is the last meal? What, and yes. this, look at all there is for me. There may not be enough. There may not be enough. There may not be enough. And that has been my struggle. But to hear that, to hear you cannot feed the one in the past. She's a ghost. Wow. (laughs) And what's true is in trying to feed that one who doesn't actually exist right now, except in your heart, um, to try and feed that one doesn't allow you to taste the food on your plate now. It doesn't allow you to feed this one that you are. Because in this moment, when you're eating, you're okay. Hmm. You're safe. And you have enough. Most of the time, most all of the time. Now, obviously, there are populations of people who don't have enough. And and that is a whole other issue to to look at and, and deal with. But for the people that are sitting there at my retreats or you or who were online with me two weeks ago doing the same thing, preparing food and bringing it, and then we all ate together, there is enough, but you're not tasting it in the moment. If you're eating for the hunger to come, which means you're in the future, or you're eating for the deprivation from the past, which means you're in the past. You're not tasting and allowing yourself to have what you already have. How does this, okay, sorry, go ahead. No, ask me. I'd love for you to ask me. How does this um, apply to withholding food? So I've never had that problem, not for a day in my life, (laughs) but I am a, that's not actually true because I've dieted my whole life. So obviously I know how to withhold to a degree, but it's just never been. You certainly do. It's not been successful, I guess, because I never quite got thin from it. But how, how does that tie in to the idea of enough when we withhold? That we will be enough when we are thin? Yeah, there's a belief. And this is the big lie. 
the big lie in capitals. We feel somehow that someday in the future, if we deprive and shame and punish and fear ourselves enough, we will end up thin, happy, peaceful, loving people. Mm. That somehow the, the shame will lead to love and restriction will lead to ease and relaxation. And that is insane. It is madness. It is crazy thinking. I, I tell people the means to the end cannot be separated from the end. Who you are now is exactly who you will be when you arrive wherever it is you think you need to arrive. How could it be any other way? You've gotten there by beating yourself up. Suddenly, you're going to be a loving, peaceful, open, happy person. That's one part. The means to the end can't be separated from the end. The other part is the lie that tells you that losing weight or being at a certain weight, anything you can do, see, achieve, have, touch, is going to make you happy. Now, as anybody knows who has ever lost weight, it did not make them happy. It did not because it cannot because happiness is here. Happiness depends on the way you see something. If I'm looking at you through fractured lenses, you are going to look fractured. If I am looking at you through lenses that are violet blue, you're going to look violet blue. It depends on how I see. It depends on the eyes with which I see you. So if I feel like there's something damaged about me, and I think it's because I'm 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds overweight, I'm still going to feel damaged when I get to my supposed goal weight because what has changed? Nothing. Nothing has changed but the size of my thighs. And, and I can tell you firsthand and also from working with tens of thousands of people about this, when I was anorexic and at all the weights between anorexia and when I gained 80 pounds, I still thought I was fat mm -hmm. because I looked with fat eyes, so to speak. So it didn't change that we think. And, and, and so I really would love people to hear this, that we think we want the, the goal, whatever that is having money, success at a job, losing weight, being in a loving relationship, having the perfect house. We think we want all of those or one of those or two of those. But what we really, really want is what we think that having those things will give us. So it's not the thing we want. It's what we believe will feel when we get that thing, and most of us believe 
that when we get that thing, whatever it is, oh, we'll be able to relax. We'll be at peace. We'll like ourselves. We won't feel like such a failure. We will be successful. We'll be lovable. That was my big thing for a while, feeling unlovable. Mm. Uh, and, and that somehow being thinner, I believed, would help me feel more lovable. And it didn't. Because it can't. So what do we do with that? <laughs> when, when all the things that, I mean, being thin has been my focus my entire life. My entire life since age 11, which I think was your magic number two, the first time yes, I was, was put on Weight Watchers. Yeah. Um, and, and I've grown a lot. I realized that there's so much more acceptance for myself now than I've ever had in my entire life. But it's been a process. And, and I keep telling everyone, it might be a process. You know, you don't just wake up one day and say, oh, I just love myself today. Hooray, it happened. I mean, it's definitely a work. And, but I, you're right. What, what I really heard was when you're looking at yourself through certain lenses, because when you're not looking for the problem, at, you look and you see whatever you're looking for, right? And so learning to have that lens that's not critical and that's more loving and, and like, oh, I have a chair and a foot, like you said, to say, I have a body and I have breath and I have, then you start to appreciate it. And one of the things I always say is for years, I never lotioned anything other than my forearms and my calves, like put lotion on my body because I didn't want to touch anything else. Oh, and so body. I know my poor dry skin and learning to lotion my whole body. And now I do it all the time. That is growth. That's seeing my body through a lens. It deserves to be moisturized and feel good. And, and that's a huge step. And so how yes. do we start to take those steps when we realize that there's this huge disconnect? What is step one? Well, one thing I want to ask you, Meredith, is what you think you will have if you were thin. Yeah. Forever thin. If you never, ever had to worry about the food you put in your mouth, mm. what would you have? How would you feel about yourself? I, I would be enough. I mean, it, it's exactly that. It, it was like I've, I've done every other thing expected of me, societally expected, but that I just, quote, couldn't, can't grab. And so, yeah, once I had that, I guess I'd be perfect. Perfection. Well, well <laughs> what you just said was you'd be enough. Enough, yeah. You'd be enough. And I just want to pose a thought to you, which is maybe this, this thing or this challenge or this pattern with food is here to just wake you up to the fact mm. that you already are enough and that it's not going to go away until you realize, oh, I don't actually need to be thin to be enough because look around you. I mean, you have a floor, you have walls, you have 
uh, uh, hair, you have lips, <laughs> you, yes. you have you've a gorgeous podcast, you have listeners, you have success. What isn't enough? It's just these thought patterns. Part of right. it is we're enculturated into right. believing that we have to have these insanely thin bodies that even the people who have thin bodies that we see in magazines don't actually have um, because those are all airbrushed. You know, I, I loved this thing by Cary Grant. Some people might not even know who Cary Grant is. But anyway, <laughs> um, the actor Cary Grant, who is in my mother's generation, gorgeous, gorgeous man, physically gorgeous and was so suave. And he was in an interview once with somebody who said that everybody wants to be like you, Cary Grant. And he said, and his real name was Archibald McLeish. No, that's not true. That might be a writer. I'm not. A, <laughs> I just. Uh, but anyway, his real name was not Cary Grant. Right. Something um, odd. <laughs> he said, I'd like to be like Cary Grant. Mm. So there's a, a, a sense that an ideal is achievable, but it's right. just out there. And part of the process so you asked me what's the first step the first step is is actually asking yourself what you think you're going to have when you get what it is you think you want mm. and then asking yourself is that true do i or do i actually already have that if right. If enough was a relationship to what you already have and not anything you could do, say, see, achieve, or touch like your thighs or achieve, then would you have enough? It's like reversing and flip-flopping your thinking. I think many people are very reluctant to give up the wound of this. I know that sounds really yes. um, kind of like dysfunctional, but I know that's true for me, you know, to give up the suffering of that. And there's a whole other question there, which is many people feel like their suffering, particularly women, makes them part of a club, makes them feel connected to other women. What would they still feel connected? Would people be jealous of them, envious of them, not like them? So, I mean, there's a lot to look at and sit with. Right. And, you know, what I wrote in Women, Food and God, and what I say all the time to my retreat students is, we're in earth school. You know, this isn't supposed to be easy. It's actually, <laughs> um, and the myth that it's supposed to be easy and effortless and, uh, you know, look at all those people for whom it is. I know no one right. for whom it is. And I've met a lot of people and not a huge amount of famous people, but enough famous people who are struggling like mad yep. to know that it's not easy. It's actually the discomfort that wakes us up, that actually causes us to question our mistaken thinking. So that's the first thing. You question what you think you'd have 
if you have what you think you want. That's then, such a good start. Yeah. Second question is, do you already have that? Hmm. Take away the, no, you might not have the, the, the weight, the ideal thin body, but do you have what you believe the thin body was going to give you, which is an internal state? It's usually about a feeling. About right. a state. It's not about a thing. Even if I want a relationship, if I'm lonely and I don't have that loving partnership, I can tell you firsthand that, you know, and I've been with my partner now for 34 years. Um, and I feel very loved by him. But having to wrestle with and come to terms with my own nightmarish mind, he cannot help me with that. Right. And I thought that being in a loving relationship was going to, because I'd have love in my life, and I do have love in my life, but not the love of myself until I question the beliefs that make it impossible. And so that's the first thing, is to questioning those. And then if you want to work directly on your relationship with food, then it's following the set of eating guidelines that I have given to people in Women, Food, and God. I think they might be on my website. And if they're not, I'm going to check after this and make sure they are. <laughs> um, about listening to your body, you know, about the physical part of emotional eating, which is just paying attention to this body. Eat when you're hungry. Eat sitting down in a calm environment. This doesn't include the car. Mm -hmm. Eat without distractions. Distractions include all digital devices and television and intense or anxiety-producing conversation. Stop when your body has had enough. Know the difference between satisfied and full. Eat, another guideline is eat with the intention of being in full view of other people, which means not sneaking. Right. Um, and then eat with delight and joy and pleasure, which most people, particularly if they're struggling with food and weight, don't believe they're allowed to have. They're right. not allowed to delight in food. They're supposed to be eating uh, chicken without the skin if they're not grape vegetarian. Nuts. <laughs> grape nuts. <laughs> Yes, thank you, and grape nuts. That's right. right. That's right. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, so thank you. Thank you so much. Let's talk really quickly about your retreat that's coming up December 1st through 6th. This is an online retreat, from what I can tell, which is super, since who knows where we'll be in December, right? But it's called This Extraordinary Moment, what, which yes. is such a great title, and I'll post a link to that. But what, what can someone expect with your retreat? Um. There are, uh, well, well, there's uh, contemplation in the morning and body movement, and this all happens online. Um, then there's, I give a couple of talks a day, and we eat together. We do an eating meditation, and then there's a lot of group interaction. So you're interacting with three and four people many times during the day. Mm. And uh, there are evening non-conceptual exercises. And after the retreat, there are many different kinds of support because support is really crucial in this. And 
So there are small group meetings. There are calls with me, once a month calls with me, once a month calls with my main retreat assistant. There are meetings amongst the retreat people themselves. There's just layers and layers and layers of support. They're beautiful. They are, um, oh, they're just, they're just indescribable. Uh, and they and they address the issues with food and of course everything that we've been talking about today. The people that have been coming to the retreats, many people have come more than one time, some for many times, find that after their relationships with food uh, are sane and clarified, then they start looking at the relationships with their children or their spouses or their work. And because this applies all across the board, because we're talking about this between our temples and noticing when we start causing ourselves suffering. Yes. Well, I'm so grateful for you and thank you for coming on. I'm grateful for your work and I'm going to check out your retreat for sure. And, And, you know, I do a meditation Every Wednesday, a free mm-hmm. meditation that's open to everybody from 5.30 Pacific time to 6 o'clock Pacific time. Every Wednesday, I started this when the pandemic started, and I'll keep going for the foreseeable future. And so um, anybody can join. And uh, the, there's a link on my website on the homepage, or else you can join my mailing list, which you can also do from the homepage, and we'll send you a link to join that. So, And then there are a lot of free resources yes. on the website. So uh, it's not just coming to the retreat, you know, because it's 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 a couple of months away now, and people might want to start right now. Sure. And so sure. there are ways to start right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And mm-hmm. let's stay in touch and I'll post the yes. links to everything. And um, yeah, let's get on with being enough. And take good <laughs> care of yourself, Meredith. Yes. And you too. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. All right, bye, bye everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.